Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate his love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoy today's message. I like to sit down so I can relax. Good morning. I can be like you. Just a little bit better looking. Now... If you are, if you, not sure whether to laugh, are you, to throw stones? Um, if you're visiting here today, as Caleb just welcomed you, uh, so I echo that. Uh, my name's Chad, and I have the privilege of being part of our church family. Again, big uh, appreciation to those of you who escaped in Canter Bay today. Bit of a double whammy with a massive concert on Kent Reserve. And, uh, and uh, the triathlon, which of course is uh, always happening this time of year. But welcome to the long weekend. So you'll get paid double time and a half for being here. And uh, we'll get out uh, soon enough and head on our way down the beach. But particularly those of you who are visiting, we trust that you feel like your time this morning was well invested uh, here. And uh, whether you are a Christian, you regularly go to church, maybe you're new to the area, uh, maybe you're visiting uh, from town, uh, or maybe you've never been to church before. You may not be uh, a Christian and uh, the whole idea of of knowing God or walking with God may be a little bit of a foreign concept or a developing concept for you. Well done for being here. It's always a very brave and courageous thing to come into an unfamiliar environment. And so we really do want to uh, appreciate you for that. Uh, for those of you who missed out a couple of weeks ago when we announced our website and the launch of the Cups uh, for our sort of theme Sunday for the year, 20 and 22, uh, we also made mention of a building project that we're wanting to give ourselves to between now and Easter, the build itself will happen after Easter, uh, in light of our 20th birthday year, and also in response to something of a prophetic word about a season that we've been through as a church coming to an end. While there's still some lingering practices, we feel that on the 20th of February, there was a prophetic sense of our COVID years are behind us. And it was in a sense of us saying, but there's just a line in the sand there. Now, that doesn't mean some practical things won't continue, of course not. But just in light of going, those were our COVID years, you know, that that time was behind us. And one of the things that Joshua and his generation did uh, when they crossed over into a new season, they crossed the River Jordan, they moved forward after a season of desert wanderings. The desert wanderings had some good moments. God was with them in that time. But there was a new season of moving forward. And what God's people did is they built something that was a, for a lasting legacy. They got 12 stones from each, each uh, leader of each of the tribes came and they built a construction so that previous or next generations could look back and go, do you remember... Do you remember those years when that generation crossed over and moved on from a very difficult time? And for that reason and for very practical reasons, uh, one of the things we announced two weeks ago is we're wanting to take a whole bunch of this area just outside these doors, this concreted area, into an outdoor living, outdoor entertaining, habitable uh, space uh, to remember the years where we were not allowed to gather together to remember the years where we were not allowed to gather for funerals and for eating and for weddings and for parties and for celebrations and even for Sundays, to remember the years where we were not allowed to sing, where we had to cover half of our faces, to remember the years where there was 10 people in the room and all of us watching at home because of a season that we went through. We were at a period of time where we're saying, that era is over, I was there, I remember it. Let me tell you some of the lessons we learned in that time. Well, if you want to get involved with that, um, thank you for those who are. We've already seen some very creative donations come through 
$222, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> People taking my numbers thing very seriously uh, on that day. Uh, and also some very, uh, some builders that have, have already come straight forward and said, look, I want to get involved using my building business. But you know what warms the heart of a pastor and of a, a leadership group more than anything is seeing the little by little people, individual families, 50 bucks here, 70 bucks there, 100 bucks there, where every tribe takes a stone and say, we are in this together. Every contribution matters. And so I want to encourage you, uh, between now and Easter, please, those of you who call this church their home, uh, please consider doing that. Uh, FYI, with travel opening up again, um, I'm going to be hitting the road a little bit more uh, myself over the next few months. I've got some leave from the COVID years that I need to take up, uh, but also with uh, flights being back on, I uh, had the privilege of ministering into different contexts again, which I'm very excited about. In a couple of weeks' time, I'll be going up to some friends of ours in Byron Bay. And uh, Byron Bay <laughs> is underwater at the moment, or at least a portion of it is. And uh, our friends there are called the Masons, Phil and Marie Mason. Uh, as a church, I don't think we've never met them, we've never brought them here, or, or uh, as far as in our house, some uh, individuals may know them. Uh, but I'll be going there to, to minister in their church. I was going to have a, a week's holiday, and just knowing what's happening there at this time, with, and them particularly helping within the Byron and, and Ballina, and even down to Lismore area, they've got home groups down in Lismore, uh, we sent them some money uh, this week and said if you if it would help you I'd love to take a day out of my holiday to come and be with you and be your church if, if that'll be encouraging for you and so I'll be doing that in a couple of weeks so just give you a heads up uh, for that as well uh, I'm sure many of us have watched images on the TV in the last couple of weeks and uh, have seen real people going through real crises and wondering possibly how we can help uh, we'll number one keep praying for them and number two know that there will be a physical we'll physically be present with them uh, in two weeks time and uh, and yeah very happy to, to partner with them at this time so just letting you know that's happening as well all right that's a bit of housekeeping you can switch back on again hi hi visitors welcome back are the people at home with us g'day those watching at home well we are in the midst of a, as Caleb just said, a term one preaching series. We have developed that as a sort of a habit over the last few years. Uh, we've chosen the theme, Better Together, as a, as a sort of a sense and a sign of us moving forward as a community and of using the book of Ephesians to do that. Brooke opened up wonderfully for us last Sunday with about two days notice uh, to open up talking about how we have been adopted into God's family using Ephesians chapter 1 today. I had the privilege of using Ephesians chapter 2 and the theme I'm going to be bringing out is the fact that we are God's reconciled community. That we are a reconciled community. Now, the way we're going about this is we're not doing a line-by-line, -line, sort of word-by-word -word teaching or anything like that, but I do want every word of this le letter read aloud. It's a way to teach you how to read the Bible for yourself, okay? What good's a Sunday and having a preacher that can do it if you can't do it yourself at home? Now, that's the idea. The idea of reading the Scripture and then asking God to highlight something in there for you is something that we can all do on our own so why don't you put your hands together and welcome our scripture reader for the day Sarah Decravel and her I think the term is dulcet tones is that yes you need a mic of course <laughs> she's a mum she can yell I mean she said it first she just wasn't on the mic you didn't hear it we're reading Ephesians chapter 2 and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were, not, who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you. Did you notice how many verses were in that chapter? Can't get away from it, can you? Uh, Lord, we submit our hearts to you today as best we know how and trust you to speak to us and teach us. Lord, your people are listening. And so we come with open ears, hearts, minds and, uh, and hands to put whatever you speak to us into practice today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, slight change of topic. News headline this week. Upon news of the great spinner's passing, dictator Dan announced that a stand at the G would be named in Warney's honour a fitting tribute for a legendary larrikin at the hallowed grounds of his record-breaking 700th Test wicket and unforgettable Boxing Day hat-trick at the 94 Ashes. How many of you understand that headline? You've got an idea of what it's saying. If we were go to go to America today and speak to a North American church, and we were to say to them, upon news of the great spinner's passing, dictator Dan announced a stand at the G 
would be named in Wardy's honour, a fitting tribute for a legendary larrikin. How many Americans do you think would understand what the heck that is talking about? If we were to go to our polite neighbours even further north in Canada, even though they speak English, they speak English, if we would go out there, how many of them would understand what a test wicket is or a Boxing Day Ashes 94 Ashes? How many of them would know what that is? If we were to receive some Ukrainian refugees into our midst who were learning English, how many of them do you think would understand anything about what this was going on about? Well, we do, by and large, and particularly for those of you who are sports fans, even more so, you understand every single phrase. You know what the stand at the G is. You know what a test wicket is. If we were in a room full of Indians today, they also would be nodding, saying, we understand what that is, okay? Because they're cricket fans, there is something here, while it is English and you understand the words, to really understand what's going on here, you need to understand something of culture. There is cultural innuendo through this whole thing. And when you communicate with people of a common culture, certain things are left unsaid. And certain things are left unexplained. When communicating in a common culture, we understand one another. We understand the meaning of certain words and phrases because we have those things in common. And the same is true with the Bible. The Bible was not written in a cultural vacuum. It didn't just drop out of heaven. <laughs> Fully written, um, independent of any human time of history. It was written in a very real time in history by very real people involved in historical events that came from a certain culture. And every word and phrase that they wrote has cultural understanding and background behind it. And therefore, as we read 2,000-year-old words like we did today, or 3,500-year-old words in the earlier part of the Bible, it is helpful for us to understand some of the cultural background that informs that reading. Because a bit like this news headline, we're going to be reading the Bible going, I don't know what a stand at the G means. But you can guarantee that the people who were first receiving these letters did. They knew exactly what a warnie was, what a spinner was, and what who dictator Dan was, because they existed at a particular time in history when those phrases were well known. And it helps us to understand what the Bible means when it says something, is to put ourselves in the sandals of the original audience. Put ourselves in their sandals, in the pews and shoes of the original audience. And in my book, and some of you are doing my course at the moment on a Wednesday night, you're up to the part in the tutorials about understanding the big background of the Bible. And part of that is understanding the culture into which the Scriptures were written and today as we've read Ephesians chapter 2 it is riddled with cultural overtones or undertones cultural tones it's riddled with cultural lingo and language that many of us miss because we're not there in the first century in the church of Ephesus listening to a guy called Paul who we know personally but he's three aspects of ancient culture that can help inform us as to what we've just read. All right? I'm going to give you some history stuff and then we'll get practical later. One of the things that ancient cultures all had in common is that they took for granted 
the existence of a supernatural realm. Ancient cultures were marked by supernaturalism. It was very normal for them, very natural for them to think in terms of the spirit realm. Okay, the idea that the spirit realm influenced the uh, physical world in which we live was just par for the course. Normal, everyone got it, everyone gets that. The, the, the spirit realm interferes and inter interacts with ours. It is very normal for people in the ancient world to think that way. And so when they read a letter like this, that where Paul says, listen, there is a spirit called the prince of the power of the air, the Ephesians knew exactly what Paul was talking about. And he doesn't have to explain it. Just like I don't have to explain warning. Some of you I need to explain dictator Dan. Mm, maybe not too many. But, uh, but I just don't need to explain that because we understand who those characters are. We understand what the 94 ashes is. Just like these people understood what the prince of the power of the air is. He doesn't have to explain who that character is. He just knows they get it. When he says you are seated with Christ in heavenly places, they know exactly what heavenly places is. You know what a stand at the G is. They knew what a heavenly places were. They had a grid for that. They had an idea. He doesn't have to explain it. He's communicating within a common culture because supernatural was so par for the course in that area. So who is the spirit of the power of the air? What are heavenly places? You can do your own research on that when you go home. The second thing about ancient culture, all ancient cultures had in common, was that they were characterised by collectivism, okay? We, typically in the individualistic West, see things in terms of me and I and my, okay? And when we read the Bible, we therefore read it with those lenses on. I am going to read my Bible to see what God says to me, because He is my personal Lord and Saviour, my Father, and the Holy Spirit lives in me. So I am going to read the Bible for me. And so I read. But in the ancient world, people did not think as much in terms of me as in we. They thought collectively. They, thought as, uh, they saw themselves far more as part of a group than as an individual. They just thought that way. I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong, healthful or unhealthful, or, or the pros and cons of how societies go if they think that way. That's not my point. The point is, in the ancient world, all ancient societies thought more in terms of we than of me. And so when they heard the Bible read, because no one 2,000 years ago had their own Bible, hello, they had someone, not a female, by the way, but they had someone <laughs> read it to them, okay? Ancient world, never mind, it's a whole other thing. Uh, they had someone read it to them. They, they heard the Scriptures in a collective context. It's the only way they heard documents, okay? Most of them, most people could not read. And they heard in terms of we, not in terms of me. So as we read this chapter, and it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. In the original language there, the Greek, those word for you is plural you. It's like we would say yous. Yous were dead. Yous were lost in your sins. And the Americans would say, y'all. Y'all were dead. Y'all have been made alive. For by grace, y'all are saved. Okay? Yous know that. Y'all are saved. Okay. We don't have that. We've lost that in English. We used to have it in the old days, in Elizabethan English and, and Shakespeare and the King James Bible, ye and thee and thou, okay, all that. But we've lost it now. So the word you. Now, if you look in the whole Bible, about two-thirds of the word you is plural. 
plural, plural, plural. It's a community book written to groups of people. They think mainly in terms of collective. Now, don't leave here saying that the Bible's not personal, okay, or I can't have a relationship with God. I'm not saying any of that. That's absolutely true. We just had moments there. Caleb encourages us to have some one-on-one time with Jesus this morning. Yay, awesome. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Fine, that's Psalm 23, right there. It's biblical. But the tendency of the biblical authors was to think more collectively. And so as we read a letter like Ephesians, when I read it at home, I need to understand what was Paul saying to the Ephesians? He was saying, yous, yous were like that. Yous, y'all were like this. He's talking collectively, not necessarily individually. Twelve times in this chapter, the word you is used. It's always plural. You's got that? (laughs) The third thing that was very common in ancient cultures, and it goes hand in hand with being collective, or collectivism, like all the isms today, is ethno-nationalism. Ethno-nationalism. Where I see my nation, the people to whom I belong, is my ethnic group, is my race. Okay? Very normal in the ancient world, very normal in the pages of the Bible, again, not saying it's right or wrong, just saying it is, it was, okay, ancient world, they thought in terms of their tribe was their people group, their lineage, their family, we are of the clan of, we are of the tribe of, I'm part of the nation of this and that nation is this particular ethnic group. And so even in the New Testament era where Paul, who's writing this, was a Roman citizen, he was part of the Roman Empire, he had a Roman passport, basically. Uh, When he got in trouble with the law, he said, I'm a Roman citizen, you can't treat me like this. I appeal to the higher court. He had Roman rights, but he never called himself a Roman. He was a Jew. Okay, because even though he legally had an identity as a Roman, his ethnic identity was first and foremost for him. Okay, Jewish first, I'm just part of the Roman empire. My ethnic identity trumps my political identity as it was. That's generally how the ancients thought of their identity. And when you see yourself that way, that's also therefore how you see others. You see people primarily in terms of their ethnicity first and foremost. So it has this us and them, us and them language, us and them mentality. These people, by the time the Bible was written, were not familiar with Martin Luther's I Have a Dream speech. They had not heard I have a dream. That people will be judged by the content of their character and not the colour of their skin. That people are known for something that's more important or that's uh, superior character than their skin colour. Okay, there's, they had, no, they didn't really have that grid. They hadn't heard Michael Jackson's black and white in the 90s, okay? <laughs> and so as we read the pages of the New Testament, they have an us and them ethnic mentality. And so it, chain, it helps us to read it as they would have heard it. So let me read some of this again, because as you read, as you go through the book of Acts particularly, you really notice this, you Gentile, us Jews, you Gentile, us Jews, it's just part of their culture. Let me read part of this passage again, verse 11, it says, therefore remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth, and you're actually called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, it's like the, the superior ones had a procedure and the others who didn't were the un, okay? So they're uncircumcised, which was done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time, you Gentiles, you ethnic group, were separate from Christ. You're excluded from citizenship 
in Israel, where I'm from, you were foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Our peace. You Gentiles, we Jews, Christ has become our peace. The emphasis of this passage is not saying Christ has given us peace between humans and God, although that is true. In this passage, he's talking horizontally. You Gentiles, we Jews, together, Christ has become our peace. And he has made these two groups one. He destroyed a barrier, a dividing wall of hostility that stood against us by setting aside in his flesh the law with its regulations and requirements. His purpose in his death on the cross was to create in himself, verse 15, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And God, and in this one body, to reconcile both Jew and Gentile to God by the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And so when he came, he preached peace to you who were far away, you Gentiles, you ethnic group, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both are on even playing ground and we both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. My race is no longer superior to yours, even though we used to think that way, okay? We always saw each other in these ethnic divisions. No, 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 no. We have been brought together. The wall that divided us, this religious wall of seeing one another that way, has been stripped away. God has united us together and in one community, a one joined community, two groups of people that were at each other's throats historically, that never the twain shall meet, that would not eat with that group because they're filthy, not go into the house of one of those because they are the dirty ones. Though That law, that religious way of thinking that divided these groups ethnically, they came together in Christ into one new community. That is the power of the cross that not only reconciles man with God, because the cross is both vertical, but it's also horizontal, reconciling two groups of people together who otherwise were always separate and always, well, not thinking too highly of one another. The point is, what's the point, Chad? The point is, if we don't understand something of that ethnic background, you would do like I've done for years and read Ephesians, you, us, you, us, and never see, oh, he's talking there about this cultural division that was a part of them at the time. They held to a very strong Jewish-Gentile division, something that we just don't have in our culture. Okay? It's not part of our pervading culture, so it's a bit hard for us to get our heads around, but it was effective, that's what was at play then. And his point is, no matter how divided you and I may be culturally, Christ's work unites us. No matter how much history we have of division, Christ's work unites us because in this community, we are one. In this community, we are one. The power of the cross not only unites God with man, man with God, but also man with man. It unites us one with another. In fact, Paul even takes this step further. 20 years before this letter, or thereabouts, he wrote a letter to a group of churches in Galatia, they had a whole other bunch of different issues. And he says this to them. 
He says, listen, in Christ, y'all are all children of God. Y'all are children of God through faith. Because all of you who are baptised into Christ are clothed with him. Therefore, there is now neither Jew nor Gentile. There is now neither slave nor free. There is now neither male or female. Because in the context of family, you're all one in Jesus Christ. Race, class, gender. He could be talking about the 21st century, he could be. Race, class and gender. And he says, listen, these, uh, these differences or this, this thing of your having different standings in your community. No, in the church community, you do not have different standings. Y'all are one in Christ. And this is why, again, we don't pick out one phrase to make a doctrinal, build a whole theology on one phrase. We don't take out Paul's claim here that there is no difference between male and female and then say that the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago was a you know, radical transgender lobbyist. Okay, there's no, no gender differences. No, the context of that passage is about our standing in community. It's about being an heir. If you read it, it's about uh, having an inheritance in the house. Okay, so you can be a slave in the house or a son in the ancient world, let's say an employee and, in, and, and a son in the house, and there was, uh, while they both lived in the same home, the, the servants were never part of the inheritance. When dad died, they never got anything. But in Christ, we are all in the house and we are equal heirs of our father. Okay, in the ancient world, males and females did not inherit equally when dad died. Okay, the girls didn't get anything in the ancient world, that's pretty, pretty normal. The boys would get the things, so they took on the family business, they were the ones that were the heirs. And Paul is saying 2,000 years ago that in this community, male, female, equal heirs of our heavenly father's estate. Okay, and so this, Paul had this understanding, which is much, must have been a bit of a mental shift for him as a radical first century Jewish man. Let's face facts, okay? Must have been a radical shift for him, but he'd encountered Jesus. The power of the cross had, had worked its reality in his heart and he knew this has not only made me right with God, <laughs> my conscience is clear before a holy God, this has also broken down the walls that I had in my mind for years that distinguished people differently where I saw you and me, us and them, us and them, us and them. No, 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 in Christ, in this body, there is level ground at the cross the cross has brought us together there is great reconciliation power in the work of christ because the ground is level at calvary the ground is level at calvary there is no lesser thans and there's definitely no greater thans there is no room for inferiority i don't come from a christian home i'm a first century i'm a first generation christian no room for inferiority and there's definitely no room for superiority we each may have different functions we each have may have different roles we may have different jobs and strengths and weaknesses contributions gifts experiences perspectives graces and spaces but we are each equally valuable and valued in the eyes of god we are one culturally 
in many ways we're told, um, well, it depends on who you listen to, I guess. But some of you may hear culturally that, you know, we, we live in a community that's never been, quote, more divided before. Now, I'm not sure. I think every generation probably says that. Depends on how negative you are. But my conviction on different divisions, certain divisions in our culture, at the moment, is not necessarily that things are worse now than what they were in the past because of a growing hatred in the hearts of individuals. I'm not convinced that there's a grassroots division within the hearts of people that, w that look at people differently and want to be separated. I'm not convinced that there's certain divisions in our culture because of some last day's conspiracy in the spirit or working in the spirit realm. I'm not, I don't lean towards that way. But I do think that there are divisions in our community because of the way certain voices are helping us to think. That we, in some ways, are taught to think about us and them, us and them, us and them, in different levels, in different ways, with different, um, um, different factors, depending on what someone is trying to push at the time. Where people are talking to us a lot in terms of us and them. And whether it's us and them, uh, gender, genderly. Women are always this. Men are always this. Women are this. Men are this. We have to think in terms of men and women as being separate. Well, maybe we should think of one another being, as being together. Think of races totally separate. Maybe we should think more in terms of us being together. Thinking of class totally separate. Maybe we should think more in terms of us being together. Thinking of sexuality, totally different. Uh, it's either, either you're the heteros or the LGBTQIA+. There's this total distinction in society. Actually, are these the best ways to see one another? How we vote to see each other separate? In the last six months, whether we're vaccinated, to see one another separate. We're to see two different groups of people in our culture. There is always someone who gains by dividing people. And I don't believe that the increase in division that some people claim we have, and maybe you've seen it, is due to the, as I said, a grassroots of individuals hating one another that has more to do with voices that we listen to that are telling us to think in certain ways. You never hear anyone on the TV say we should think of one another in terms of our generosity or stinginess. Who's ever made that division? Walk around thinking there's kind people and there's unkind people. That might be a better way to see people. To see people in terms of their character, see people in terms of their conduct, see people in terms of their generosity, uh, in their community service. These are divisions that we could label. And yet it seems there are ones at different times in history that we like to focus on what certain voices like to focus on. And I am watching this and think it has far more to do with wanting to divide a community. And yet the church is called somehow to be a beacon that says no matter how divided people may even be historically, at the cross there is equal ground. At the cross we know I'm right with God and I'm right with you. I'm right with God and I'm good with you. There's something about us being a reconciled and a reconciling community. If it can happen in the first century, 
with this long-term division of Jew and Gentile than it can happen with us in whatever manufactured division there might be of the last six months, six years or whatever. But that's just some of my thoughts. A few years ago I preached a message using Ephesians 2, the same chapter, and it was called Healing Hope for Fractured Families. Healing Hope for Fractured Families. I walked through a whole bunch of the Bible story explaining that God knows what it's like to be around broken relationships. If you come from a broken family or a fractured family, God knows what that's like. Because His family has a history of fracturing, of relational tension and relational division. Even the perfect father had kids (laughs) that fractured in their relationships. God knows what it's like to come from a fractured family and he himself, as you read through the story of God's people, this tendency to divide and fracture, divide and fracture, is all through their history. And it occurred to me one day that this Ephesians 2 passage reminded me of stories in Ezekiel. And there's a passage, a chapter in Ezekiel 37 that brings two stories together. For the visual ones, uh, you'll get this because um, Ezekiel was a visual prophet. The first thing he did is he came across a valley of dry bones. Remember that story? And the bones were saying, we are dead. Our hope is gone. Dead bones calling out for resurrection life. And God said, those bones are my people, Israel, who are actually alive, but they are dead relationally. What did we just read in Ephesians? You were dead in your sins. You were physically alive, but you were dead in sin And God came to dead bones, breathed his life on them, and they resurrected. The promise of Ezekiel, okay, of saying, I will one day in the future, he said, 600 years BC, I will breathe my spirit on my people who are dead in sin. I will breathe my spirit on them, and they will come alive as one mighty army. In that same chapter, the very next story, he takes two sticks, which represented the two God's people at one stage in history were divided into two kingdoms and a lot of the bible tells that story judah israel judah israel judah israel two kingdoms that were at war with one another were meant to be one king under king david and then soon after solomon's death they split into two god's family was divided and ezekiel comes around this period of history and he's and god says i want you to take a stick that represents that kingdom and a stick that represents that kingdom and join them together and tell my people one day This people will be one kingdom again with one shepherd called David when my spirit comes to live in them. Here's an artist's impression of what those sticks look like. When 600 years BC, he took two sticks, joined them together. I like to think it was in the shape of a cross. Judah, Joseph, I will make them into a single stick of wood. They will become one in my hand. Never again be two, never again divided, because my servant David will be king over them and they will have one shepherd. And 600 years later, Jesus comes on the scene, the son of David, and he says, I am the good shepherd, my sheep of many different folds coming together. They know my voice. 600 years BC, Ezekiel prophesies, two groups of people who are at each other's throats will be made one again because of the ministry of King David. Chad, what's your point? 
Our theme for this series is better together. We've chosen the book of Ephesians because possibly more than any other letter in the New Testament, this epistle speaks to who we are as the community of faith. Beginning in chapter 1 where it talks us being reconciled firstly to God himself, where Jesus brought he and me together. Here in chapter 2 he moves on and he talks about how God has reconciled one another in Christ, where he has brought thee and me together. Even, in the words of Shakespeare, the most unlikely of bedfellows. I mean, look at some of you. Look around go, wow, really? I'm connected with these people? Yeah, yeah. God has brought a diverse community together, one through the cross of Christ. And here in chapter 2, as I've read it over and over again this week, I've seen seven pictures of this community that God has brought us into. Seven pictures. I'm not going to talk about them all, of course. But God has brought us into a community of resurrected royalty. You were dead, but now you are raised and seated on the throne with Christ. You, my friends, are a community of resurrected royalty. And let's live like it. Number two, we are a community who is God's glorious work of art. Verse 10, we are God's workmanship. Number three, we are a community who are known as doers of good deeds because you are God's workmanship who have been created to do good deeds. That is who you are. That is who you are. That is who you're doers of good deeds. So let's live like it. Number four, and we read the passage earlier, he said we are a reconciled community, Jew and Gentile together. Whatever distinction that anyone, any, any other label that people want to distinguish us by, whatever, I don't care what labels you give, we are one in Christ. We are brought together. We are citizens of God's nation, in verse 19. Citizens of God's nation. When you're a citizen of a nation, that gives you certain rights and responsibilities. That gives you certain rights. And you belong to God's nation. You are members of God's family. Brooke brought that up again last week, adopted into his family, members of God's family, verse 19, and we are stones in God's temples. You read through the book of Ephesians over and over again, it tells us who you are, who you are, who you are, oh, sorry, it tells us who y'all are, who y'all are, who y'all, who yous are. It tells you who you are. It tells you who you are. But of all those seven pictures in this one chapter, I feel it's that middle one, number four, that is on God's heart for us today, that we are a reconciled community. We are a reconciled community. and Therefore, we are a community of reconciliation. We often have said around this place that we are a restorative community. Well, reconciliation is just restoration, restorativeness, in relationships. We are a restorative community. We are a reconciliation community. Three years ago in that message, when I preached that first time, God's hope for fractured families, within three months of preaching that word, we had two marriages in our church miraculously brought back together. Do you remember that, those of you who are here? Trevor and Anne's son suddenly disappeared to Tasmania, because he remarried his wife that he divorced five years ago. We had uh, Kim 
And where, where did I hear today? Bronwyn walked into church one day holding the hand of some man. I was like, who? Bronwyn? Walking to church holding the hand of some guy. Where, where's this guy from? I only saw you two weeks ago. She said, he's my husband. Oh, that was quick. My husband from, that we separated two years ago. God restored two marriages miraculously. You know, this week, two weeks ago, I had a letter in my P.O. box. It was handwritten. Do you remember what those were? Like envelope, I had a stamp on it, like this thing in the corner, and you really know, yeah. And, and it, was, it was cursive. I'm like, oh, okay. It's from a lady who was in our church over 15 years ago. She said, I'd really like to see you. And I called, I'm like, I'm leaving to go see my brother in a couple of days. Is this, I want to know, is this serious? Should I know about it later or when I get back, you know? And she says, well, it's serious to me. I'm like, okay. I go over to her house and she says, please sit down. She makes me a cup of tea, her and her husband. 91 years of age. She begins to apologise for the way that she left our church 15 years ago. She says, God's been dealing with me in the last few months and the power of the cross has been working its way in my heart and I feel like in our last time we spoke to you, we were, I was arrogant, I was selfish and I did not show you the respect that you deserve. And I, of course, could barely remember what she was talking about but it meant a lot to her. And there I am, a 25-year-old pastor, having a 75-year-old lady leave our church all those years ago, who now at the age of 91 wants to be reconciled in that relationship. Marriages, church relationships, work relationships, family, friendships. God is in the business of reconciliation. And the things that divide us Selfishness, just general sin, indifference, iniquity, arrogance, deceit, you name the list, can all be counted the opposite spirit. Humility, generosity, kindness, a willingness to admit, I was wrong. A willingness possibly to say, I just want to clear the air. A willingness to say, I know the extent that Jesus went through to make me right with God and to make sure that no matter who you all are, there's nothing between us. Jesus has broken down the wall of hostility and I don't want to build the damn thing up again. I think that's something on God's heart for us today. And it sounds a little bit heavy for a long weekend. But maybe for some of us, it's just a point of leaving here today to say, I'm a part of a reconciled community. And I'm also part of a reconciling community. And there may be a relationship that is weighing on your, your, your mind and your heart right now. Family, friends, maybe 15 years ago. And you think, you know what, I'm going to pray and prophesy that this week, just like Ezekiel did to those bones. Dead, scattered relationships prophesy new life the wind of the Spirit. Maybe in prayer, holding something together to say, I believe there's a time this relationship will come together again. And my job is to pray and prophesy that. Or maybe, like a 91-year-old lady, you can do something practical this week and take a step out and go, you know what? I'm called to be part of a reconciled community.
And dang it, I'm going to live that way. And I'm going to put something into practice this week that demonstrates I'm a reconciler and I'm part of a reconciled community. Maybe you can take that away this week. I'll leave it with you. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you speak to all of us, but you also speak to each of us. That you meet with all of us, but today you meet with each one of us. And we allow you this time right now to highlight a what, a when, a who and a how. Anything you want me to do, Lord? Anything you want me to do? Okay. Consider it done. Thank you for coming to me so gently and so kindly today, Lord. I thank you for coming to the world so powerfully 2,000 years ago. And I, for one, will live and speak in a way that the power of the cross will not be without effect in my life. The grace of God will not come to me without effect, but it will have its full manifestation in my life. And I tell you again today that I'll cooperate with you in whatever that means. I give you my word since you've given me yours. Amen. Amen. Beautiful? You got something to do? You got something to do? How about... I'm getting paid double the time and a half today because it's a long weekend, so we should go. No, I'm not. It is a beautiful long weekend. And this has been a beautiful moment. You never really know how to finish a service like this on something so serious. But if you've just done business with God, take that away with you. I'm not going to be auditing. I'm not going to be, there's no test at the door. Say, what, did you, what business did you and God do this week? But please, if God spoke to you, please carry that out. Right? It'll be good for you. We love you lots. For those of you visiting, thank you again so much for being with us. It is a long weekend, so we will let you go. It's 11.30. Enjoy the sun or take us up on the coffee offer and uh, join us out there. All right? Bless you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for today. Thanks for those at home. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And, of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day. Bye.